Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Hello and welcome once again to The Outer Hour. Why have we got an action-packed show for you tonight? Fantastic guests, incredible insight, and some news and information that you won't get anywhere else. What are we discussing this evening? Well, we are discussing two important topics. Important for you, the South African taxpayer, because it's your money being spent. We'll be chatting about political interference within the aviation industry. You may know that... Uh, Mango Airlines has gone into business rescue. It sounds quite simple on the surface, but a way a way lot more complicated below the surface. As you start scratching, some questions come out and answers are needed. We'll be talking about that in the first part of the show, and then it gets exciting when we chat about the National Lotteries Commission investigation. We've got Ground Up on board tonight, who will be running through their investigations and the fantastic articles they've been producing on their website lately, uh, as well as Brendan Slade, Outer's legal project manager to run through the National Lotteries Commission investigation. What on earth has been going on at the National Lotteries Commission? We'll be answering some of those questions and providing some insight tonight. Let's say hello this evening to the CEO of Alta and welcome Wayne Divinage to your screens. Hi Wayne, how are you doing? Tom, always well. I get a sense that there's, uh, there's a lot of fatigue in the country at the moment. Um, you know, we've We've just got an economic drain fatigue, corruption fatigue, pandemic fatigue, looting fatigue. doesn't stop, but we've got to never give up hope as active citizens in the role that we have to play. And everybody, all leadership, in tackling this issue. I'll be writing about that in the CEO's column uh, this month. Yeah, looking forward to a lovely show. Nice to have all our guests uh, on board tonight. Same here. Looking forward to it. Do stay with us for this full 60 minutes. And remember that you can comment and ask as many questions as you like. We try and get as many comments and questions through to our participants and guests on the outer hour. So do comment, do ask questions, play the role of interviewer, and I'll pass as many of those on as possible. It is customary at this time of the show to say good evening to you wherever you may be. And remember to like and share this broadcast right up front so that we can get the message out to as many people as possible. Alta is first tonight. That's Sam. Sam Finispan, the Head of Marketing and Comms for Outer, assisted by Eva Cleary in the comments section. Banele Sinatla has produced the show. Alex Halshove says, hi, Outer team. Hello, Alex. Brendan Slade will be on your screen in a few moments' time and is in the comments section to interact with you. Jeff P. Scott says, greetings and salutations, you squad of intrepid warriors. Thank you, Jeff. Nice to have you on board. Claire Feldman says, good evening, team excellence, Outer. Jackie Jennifer says, hello, Outer team, my favorite hour. Mine too. Thank you for joining us, Jackie. Anita Wales says, hello, Tom and Team Outer from a chilly Somerset West. Oh, you're making me homesick for the Cape, even though I only lived there for two years. Uh, we've got Lynn Smith on board who says, hello, everyone, and there's a heart attached. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, Dean Stephan says, drat, battery going, going to have to make a plan. Do it, do it now, Dean. Hi. Barbara Schlinglaw says, evening, everybody. We've seen familiar names here. Claire says, Wayne says, precisely what we all feel. Yeah, yeah. Ulandi uh, Exner or Ulandi Exner says, howdy all. Wayne Divinage has a smiley face on screen. He will be both on your screen and in the comment section to interact with you as Wayne does on the outer hour. Kirk Gemmel says, hi, the zoo. Robert Robb says, good evening. 
The Nicola Jane Good says, good evening, everyone. Hello, Nicola Jane Good. Nice to have you with us. Now, uh, if you haven't share, uh, shared this broadcast yet, this is your chance to do it before we get into the meat of the discussion. Let's start off with our first topic this evening, which is political interference in the aviation industry. Now, this week, society was informed about the decision to place Mango Airlines into business rescue. But reading out his media statement to this effect, uh, which you published yesterday, Wayne, there appears to be far more to this issue than just a pure dis business decision. And to assist you in this interview and add his input, we've got Joachim Vermurten, an aviation specialist, on board tonight. So let's put the first question to you, Wayne. Uh, is there more to uh, Mango Airlines going into business rescue than just the one headline and the little bit of copy we've read in the media? What, what's, what's troubling you? Well, um, thanks, Tom. Yeah, look... <laughs> We weren't surprised, um, but this is a year late. Uh, it was in April or May uh, last year that executive management at Mango requested of their shareholder, DPE, to put uh, Mango into business rescue then. This was two months into the lockdown when many or most uh, internationally and locally airlines were um, having to restructure, scramble very quickly as, as travel was uh, literally ground to a halt. Um, and that sets in motion, you know, a lot of stuff that happens, renegotiating leases and things like that. And Mango, uh, SA was already in business, but Mango just continued to operate, continued to pay leases, continued to pay salaries, didn't do much around readjusting itself, uh, and, uh, and it got into trouble quite quickly. And our concern is that had government heeded the call by executive management over a year ago, we would not be in the position we are today where most of the staff have not been paid for a number of months uh, or short paid for a number of months. Uh, creditors and even state-owned entities owed a lot of money by uh, these airlines and Mango in particular. So <clears throat> we're not surprised. Uh, but the real worry is that, and I think Joachim will expand on this, is that recently they asked for special appropriations for, for some of uh, SAA's bailout money to go to Mango. Um, and yet that hasn't been paid. We've, we obviously argued against it. We argue against any bailout against state-owned entities. And, and, and here we have a failed uh, state airline uh, being bailed out with money for what we don't know other than to settle some debt. It's not going to be enough, that $819 million to keep it alive. And, uh, and, and now we have deals that are happening with Takatsu, who owns, uh, who has big shielding in Lyft, Lyft is a competitor, a low-cost carrier to Mango. Um, and so there's stuff that we believe is in the, in, there's a lot of conflict that is coming up. We're not surprised at this mess because the government really just has no idea of running businesses. But this is all very telling. Mm. And there's some other interesting things that come out of this discussion. Uh, yeah, it's just a mess. <clears throat> Tell us, Wayne, what got Mango into this position uh, and, and, and hasn't this been coming for a long time? Uh, what implications, I guess, yeah. does, does this uh, delay of almost a year, as you say, uh, have on staff, uh, on creditors and us, the, the taxpayer? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I was saying, uh, Tom. It's, um, it's, it's, it, it, what got them into it was a combination of bad management. COVID pandemic came along, uh, political interference. Uh, not uh, exercising fiduciary duties and getting into business rescue on time. Uh, and, uh, and the implications really are, it, it's, it's, it, we end up paying, the taxpayer pays. But there's more to this, as I say, which we're going to elaborate on, which talks, talks to 
the uh, lack of competition in the industry and government's meddling, giving rise to the collapse, literally, if we're not careful, of the aviation industry. Uh, there's a lot of question marks around Department of Transport, DPE, and, and what is actually going on here. So, so serious implications, and, and the taxpayer and the staff are losers and the creditors uh, at Mango, and it's going to get worse. Uh, let's put this question to Joachim. Uh, you know, we, we, we know that the Department of Public Enterprises recently asked Treasury and Parliament's SCOA, the stand-in committee, for a special appropriation for over 800 million rand to be redirected from the SAA business rescue bailout package to Mango in order to keep it going. After all, the DPE have said the survival of Mango is important to the relaunch of SAA. What now, Joachim? Well, there's a number of issues. The first one is, uh, is what is the role of Mango? It was started up in 2006 with four aircraft, and it appears as if that scale of activity was fairly, uh, you know, good. Uh, that, that has been the case with most of the American large uh, full uh, network uh, carriers. All of them started up their own low-cost carriers, but after they've learned what to do, they would apply what they've learned in the low-cost scene, adopt that into the mainline airline, and then close down the low-cost carriers. That didn't happen uh, in this case, uh, where SAA kept on going, irrespective of the clear market preference for low-cost uh, services. And uh, so it and Mango became competitors. Mango was then radically expanded uh, from four aircraft to 14 aircraft. And uh, during that time, the market just grew, well, minimum, maybe two or three percent per annum. So you can clearly see a massive overcapacity within Mango. And uh, you need, uh, uh, you know, it's doubtful that the market. Uh, rose for Mango's product to the same extent. So uh, some information has come out with the application to court by the uh, uh, unions. One is that in total it made about a billion rand loss uh, from 2007 to 2019. And of course, uh, the question is, who has actually funded this? Was this mm. SAA? Or was it the creditors, you know? Because that uh, could explain the 819 that's necessary just to fill the hole for the past, uh, past losses, <laughs> you know? But the total uh, debt of the company is very heavy at the moment. It's 2.5 billion. And hence, if you look from a financial perspective, the 819 is only about a third of what they need if they uh, want to repay all the creditors. So clearly there's uh, major challenges. And as Wayne said, you know, it was very clear that uh, when SAA went into business rescue, that Mango was an integral deployment uh, part of yeah. its uh, strategy. And it should have gone into business rescue as well, because very clearly it was sitting on excessive capacity of uh, all nature, capacity in terms of equipment and if, uh, in human capital, and uh, steps should have been taken at that stage. But that shows you the importance of accountability. 
there hasn't been any financial statements published of Mango, and that would, if it had been done, it would have been bring the whole issue to the fore a long time ago. Yeah. So a number of lessons and, of course, a number of conflicts of interest uh, as well. Well, let's talk about so those conflicts. at the moment... Yes, co continue. Sorry, co you continue, Joachim. Yeah, yeah. So the conflicts of interest uh, is on various levels. First, on the business level, Mango and SAA would restart on the same routes. Now, uh, you know, ultimately, it's a price-competitive product, and uh, you find that low-cost airlines charge over peak periods very high tariffs, in which case, uh, you know, SA was actually cheaper than them. Uh, but in low periods, uh, you know, uh, SA always uh, offered very uh, keen pricing, especially close to the departure time. So at the end of the day, uh, most airline seats are today of a commodity nature, and uh, SAA and Mango will definitely compete and has competed uh, in the past on the same routes. Uh, also, with uh, the equity partner uh, who has a low-cost uh, carrier, that's another conflict of interest. So, uh, you know, uh, the government couldn't sort out the situation between Mango and, and uh, SAA for many, many years. And uh, we hope that some solution could be brought about uh, now. An easy solution is, of course, to dispose of Mango, which there were many opportunities when it was still a viable operation. And ultimately, that might be the solution in this case as well. Let's talk about some of these conflicts um, of so, you interest. Know, yes. Hmm. I, I just wanted to The second uh, issue of uh, conflict... There's obviously a delay. Uh, so, Tom, I think uh, Joachim just touched on that conflict the of interest, which is a quite an interesting one for us because um, if you have an equity partner, a strategic equity partner in Takatso, which we said uh, uh, has the um, interest in Lyft, which is a low-cost airline competing with Mango, um, what do you think is going to happen? Who's going to benefit if Mango goes under? Uh, and these are serious questions that are not being answered. Uh, and we believe that that there might be an opportunity here for this funds, which not reached Mango yet, to be used to mop up Mango, close it down, uh, or merge it with Lyft, or vice versa, um, but in a way that benefits external equity partners uh, that should really never be getting this lift up. And remember, <clears throat> once Lyft and Equity Partner is, uh, if they do, if this ever goes ahead, this uh, this uh, partnership with SAA, they start to have insight and knowledge of how to link uh, Lyft uh, to the uh, SAA flights, so SAA flying internationally, and then linking them up to the local route. So far too many questions around conflicts of interest uh, that, that make us worried about uh, the, the conduct that's happening here. Another level of conflict of interest is, of course, the money. <laughs> you asked the question of what happened to the money, so that is still unclear. But the money has to flow from government to Treasury to SAA. SAA has also got money problems, and uh, then they want SAA to pass it on to 
mango, you know, so that's a huge conflict of interest to start off. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in this, uh, the, the uh, Takato Consortium's ownership of Lyft, Wayne, uh, and, and just I, w I want to touch a little, a little on that. Uh, and they're the chosen selection of strategic equity partner with the, the new SAA, and we know that they own the airline Lyft. Uh, and now you've got an airline that's under their uh, fold or within their fold that is a local uh, carrier. And they are going to be going into partnership uh, with SAA and inherit. So, so it is, uh, we assumed, uh, another local carrier. Now we told Business Rescue and there's a chance that Mango may not exist. Uh, does that give them a, a strategic advantage? I mean, I'm just looking at this and going, hold on a moment. You were going to compete against the business you're about to buy. Now the part of that business you're about to buy is gone and you own all the equity in, in, in the, uh, in the, air, in the airline you, you've got. So, so are they, are they, are they getting more than they bargained for out of this? Well, that's what the question we're asking and that's the conflict and that's the mess that we're talking about. You know, um, <clears throat> where is the transparency? What is happening to the aviation industry? Uh, what does the strategic partnership bring uh, to Takatsu who owns Lyft? Uh, what does it mean for all players if Mango goes or if Mango stays? So yeah, lots of, lots of, lots of uh, smoke, lots of confusion, and a lot of opportunities for a handful of people to make a lot of money. Do we know what happens to the 800-odd million that was earmarked for, for Mango if it goes into business rescue and is folded? Well, uh, um, it's not 819 million that was going to be redirected to them. But as Joachim says, the Zeland is in far bigger debt. If they get that money, they will still not be able to launch Mango and sort it out. Uh, that money is going to go just to paying creditors and, uh, and salaries. Uh, they need far more than that. What is it, about 2 billion rand, Joachim, to get this airline? Two and a half. Two and a half billion, yeah. That's not enough. So there's another bailout coming. But we get a sense that they don't want Mango to, 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 to go again, uh, that, that there's something else in, in the making. Well, that's, uh, you touched on, on debt and you mentioned the huge amount of debt that Mango Airlines has. Let, let's take a look at some of this debt and look at the debt that SAA Mango and SA Express have run up. They've run up bills to the tune of $835 million with other state institutions, such as AXA, such as the Air Traffic Navigation Services, the SA uh, Civil Aviation Authority. This is a serious amount of money, Joachim. Can you tell us how, how did this happen? And, and would private airlines be able to do the same? Well, the answer is private airlines are definitely not allowed to, uh, to stretch payments. And, uh, you know, in terms of aviation policies, there's supposed to be level playing fields. Uh, however, the interest in SAA and the willingness to make SAA and its uh, subsidiary uh, viable and also South African Express uh, clearly il illustrates the conflict of interest in government's role as the owner of operations and its role as enabler and regulator of an industry. So you need to take exceptional measures if the state is both a regulator and a um, a participant in uh, in the game, and um, that has clearly not happened here. Uh, uh, the understanding was that all parties would be treated equally. 
that would imply that the build-up of this type of debt to these levels should not be acceptable. And, um, you know, at last uh, the ATN is uh, stepped in, but had, it, uh, had everybody been treated equally, then it's very clear that uh, the uh, state-owned entities would have stepped in a lot earlier and the crisis would have been demonstrated in that way. So, again, it's a measure of transparency. The irony is, of course, now uh, this debt is then ultimately written off or impaired, and uh, the gap is actually filled by a government for recapitalization of the state-owned entities. That implies that the government is picking up the tab and therefore the taxpayers is ultimately financing the debt of, you know, OXA and uh, AT&S and so on uh, towards uh, the state and airlines. And that is a principle that is really not right. Uh, it's the same issue on state bailouts that we've seen constantly because state bailouts in a competitive market hurts competition. It drives mm -hmm. away competitors. It allows com uh, competitors that should have exited the market to remain in the market, and it deprives uh, those that are really efficient to grow. And that is really something to look at, uh, even on all levels, on all levels of state and entities where uh, they compete within a competitive market. You should have uh, uh, competitive neutrality. If you can't establish that, then the state should just sell off those uh, assets mm -hmm. because the uh, state uh, financial aid only distorts competition. I'm looking at some of this debt, Wayne, and I'm putting it up on screen now. $335 million owed to SARS. Um, what would happen to me if I owned an airline and owed SARS $335 million? And I guess the question is, what has happened to the directors of SAA uh, who were responsible uh, for the airline yeah. during this period? Um, what it, yeah. well, it, we're talking about... You know, it's just money. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> and Wayne? It is, it is in reality trust money. So uh, the company is responsible to pay that over. And it's really unacceptable that that money has not been paid over. Mm. It actually demonstrates that uh, people have just ignored normal rules applicable to commercial entities. And yeah. as you say, where were the directors? Where were the managers? Uh, that's all criminal uh, uh, actions, and it shouldn't be uh, tolerated. So you, could, you bet your bottom dollar, Tom, you don't have to own an airline, anybody. But if you p collect PAYE from your staff and do not pay mm. it over to SARS, you're in trouble. They'll go after you. And so we've asked and we've written to SARS, what has happened to the directors at uh, SA Express, Mango and, and, and SA, who have not paid their dues to SARS? Why aren't they being charged? Why aren't they being locked up? Uh, and the other issues around airports company. Uh, we've spoken to the, uh, uh, the private operators and said, what happens to you? you if you are late in your payment your landing fees and that to airports company they get threatened the airlines get shut down they are not allowed to land or park if yeah. they are uh, just a week late they start getting threatening messages saa though and mango and sa express can run a, a combined debt of 321 million rand and still fly that is just abuse of power and it is uh, creating this un level playing field 
which uh, you're him talking about, and it chases away investors. Already investors are saying to uh, the private airlines, look, we'll back you on leases, uh, the leasing companies, but actually we're getting a little bit scared about helping out anybody in the uh, South African aviation industry because your government is interfering too much. Now, these are the signs of a collapsed industry on its way, and this government starts to do its work properly. Uh, and we cannot have this favoritism by, by the air traffic navigation services and the uh, civil aviation authorities uh, to state-owned airlines. I've got to treat everyone the same. And us, the civil society, the citizens have to start asking tough questions mm. and holding their feet to the fire and going after them because it's just diabolical fun. Tell us briefly, Wayne, uh, we see the Transport Minister hasn't uh, appointed the necessary board at the International Air Services Council since April this year. Uh, what does this uh, Air Services Council do and what implications does this have for the aviation industry and, and ordinary people like, like you and I? Well, I'll just give a high-level shot if I miss something out, Joachim, uh, come in. But, but in short, the International Air Services Council licenses air airline operators to, to land and to fly between uh, countries. And, and so uh, what happens is uh, if you want, as, as let's say Kalula, to fly to Zanzibar, Namibia, <clears throat> various countries that we do uh, uh, routes with, uh, they have to license you. They have to grant you that permission, as do other airlines that come into South Africa. And and guess what? They've been defunct since April, I think, Joachim. They haven't. The, board, the, the Minister of Transport has not reappointed the board, which has expired. Their last board's gone out. They're supposed to do this, by the way, ahead of time so that there's, there is handover and it flows. We believe that this is a sinister ploy to allow SA, who have not been flying, to hold on to their licenses and Mango and others so that when they get flying again and the board is reconstituted, if, uh, if, if, if uh, Airlink or whoever wants to apply for those licenses, they'll say, no, they're already uh, taken up by SAA. And that. Now, those private airlines have been flying while these other government-controlled airlines have been grounded. Uh, there are people on those routes, <coughs> businesses, Freight, cargo, tourism, all these entities. Our economy is suffering as a result of no flights. Uh, and, and, and right now, if that Air, International uh, Air Services Council was operating and uh, let's say Airlink or, or Sem Air or, or Fly, uh, Safair went to them and applied for the licenses for these routes, they would have no option but to give it to these private airlines. But there's no one to go to. So it's an absolute travesty. It's, a, it's just crazy. It's diabolical that this can happen. Uh, and, and we've written to the minister, and they, you know, you'll see also with the, with the next topic, you try and engage with the ministry and the people in authority, and they just fob society off. No wonder why we have to build strong civil society to take these ministers to account, uh, hold them to account, take them to court. Uh, but now, uh, just today, uh, we've, we've written uh, uh, quite a strong letter to the presidency and the, and the Will and Lela uh, uh, initiative, Operation Will and Lela, to say, look, guys, and at president level, if you're allowing your ministers to behave like this, you are the problem. And it's actually yeah. making us uncompetitive as a nation. Let's get to some uh, viewer questions, shall we? Here's a, an interesting one and perhaps impossible to answer, but let's give it a crack. Ronnie Naidu says, I just want to know, what is this going to cost the taxpayers? Do we have any idea what the ultimate cost attached to SAA and its subsidiaries will be? Joachim. 
<laughs> no, uh, you know, what is very clear is that uh, uh, the initial uh, startup, uh, you know, scale of operations that is envisaged for SAA, uh, you know, cannot take place with the money uh, earmarked uh, for that, you know. So they would either have to grant more money towards SAA or they have to reduce the scale of operations of it, you know. Uh, it's only those two, because if we look at the total picture, the 10.5 billion is no longer available for SAA. They're getting uh, uh, 2.7 less. The minister wanted to increase the 10.5 uh, to 14. So there's 3.5 billion that's supposed to come, which nobody knows where that will come from. And uh, he was relying on 5.3 to come in from a strategic equity partner who has only promised 3 billion. So there's 2.3 short there. So on their existing plans, they already are short of 8.5 billion. And that's on a very, very optimistic uh, take of uh, a business plan. So, you know, it will be significant. You know, either they have to really start a very, very small or they would have to uh, get substantial amounts more. But they can't, and that's been happening for quite a while, uh, you know, to increase the scale of the state operation without the necessary funding in place, and then it becomes a, a problem uh, afterwards when the banks want their money back. So it really needs a proper rational decision on what scale they can do things with what they have, and uh, just forget about all the big ideas. Let me look at a few more comments coming in before we start our next conversation. Um, <laughs> Lynn Kennedy says they should go to jail for tax evasion. Agree, Wayne? Yeah, look, uh, um, the, the executives of those uh, airlines who are not paying tax, uh, yeah, SARS must charge them and do what they do to others that behave this way. But again, you know, we need our state authorities and then the criminal justice system to start doing what they've got to do. They're not doing it fast enough. Uh, but so, certainly SARS is no excuse. They must go and find out who the CFO was at uh, SA Express, SA and Manga at the time those payments weren't made. Charge them. Take them to court. Have them declared as delinquent directors and jail them. Simple as that. Right. Uh, Alta asked the question, does South Africa need a state-owned airline? Here are your answers. Hilda Mayer says, no. No need for a state-owned airline. Abin Seda says, no. All SOEs must be disbanded. They should open it up to private companies and let competition dictate value for money. Anita Whale agrees, no. It's a black hole. Susan uh, Lahubabe says, I was about to say the same. Lynn Kennedy said, it's like everything in South Africa. Nothing works. Marina Mulberg-Smith says, it was such a brilliant airline. I'm an ex-SAA employee. I was so proud. It's such a shame. And Alex Elzhoff just has a tear uh, uh, emoji with a, a crying face. Mm -hmm. And... Um, there are more coming in. Oh, more no's, zero. No need for a state airline. And Claire concurs with Wayne. Uh, Joachim, your thoughts on uh, a state airline? Do we need it? Do, should we fight to keep Mango in the air and SAA? Well, we know SAA oh, will be in the air, but Mango? <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of confusement around the, the terminology of national airline and national carrier and a state-owned airline. 
there are many national carriers like Lufthansa, British Airways and so on that clearly demonstrates or illustrates the, um, the general characteristics of that uh, nation. But those are no longer state-owned because even successful airlines uh, only earn very, very low margins and it's no way enough to actually replenish aircraft and equipment and systems which you need to carry on, and especially with growth. So all of them have been privatized, all the bigger ones, and um, are uh, uh, exposed to capital markets. If they don't perform, the mm. capital markets uh, shun them. Uh, if they do perform, uh, you know, they get the funding, uh, the money. And that's also the case in China, for example. They have state-owned airlines, uh, but if the management of the airline want to invest in equipment or routes, they have to go and float uh, 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 a prospectus on uh, bores and get the money in there. The government doesn't actually provide them with the money. So even with a state-owned airline, you know, why should we uh, fund and have an open hand uh, towards the state enterprises? Yeah. They should behave on a commercial manner and under normal financial disciplines. So I think the answer is, uh, frankly, no. You know, it would be better if it's uh, a listed entity where you can have uh, proper investigation and regular accountability of what's happening, in my view. Well, I see most of our viewers agree with you. One quick question before we move on, and I think this is an important one. It comes from Diane Stefan. Is safety being compromised with the situation at the moment, Joachim? Well, that is always a concern. You know, if a company is under severe financial pressure, uh, they try and save those areas which is not that apparent. And uh, that's why it's so important for the Civil Aviation Authority which is also government controlled in South Africa's case, mm. uh, to act within their mandate. And we're anxiously waiting to see what the results are. Uh, this, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, vaccine, uh, flight. vaccine flight is, you know, uh, because there's many questions around that. The Americans are now also looking at uh, our safety, safety uh, authority to see whether uh, things are in place. So, we're anxiously waiting to see. But that is an absolute, you know, uh, you need a, a vigilant um, uh, safety regulatory authority uh, that doesn't uh, duck for uh, state-owned enterprises, but to, uh, act according to the mandates. Well, Wayne, uh, you know, it, it, as with our topic that's coming up, that we started smelling smoke a year and a year and a bit ago, it, it seems as if there's smoke and there's some fire here. Mm, absolutely. And looking forward to the next uh, the part of the session. You know, we've got a great relationship with Roundup. Uh, the editors, Raymond Joseph, has engaged with us quite a lot. So over to you guys. Uh, uh, let 
let, let's get some insights as to this diabolical situation as well at the National Lottery. Let's move on mm. to the second segment of our show. As Wayne says, the National Lotteries Commission investigation. You'll know if you're a regular viewer to the show, we started talking about the National Lotteries Commission some time back, and the story has developed and grown. To give us more details, Brendan Slade, legal advisor, joins us from Outer, as well as Nathan Geffen, the editor of Groundup, and Raymond Joseph, a freelance journalist. Brendan, let's start with you. Just give us a breakdown of what Outer has done in this space, just a recap for us and bring our viewers up to date and whether there has been any noteworthy development. What's the latest? Sorry, you're asking me or Brendan about it? Uh, that's Brendan, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Good evening, Tom. Good evening to all the viewers out there. Um, as you may well know, there is a lucky winner out there who hit the Powerball jackpot of 150-odd million earlier this week, but that's not the reason we are here tonight. Uh, we are here tonight to discuss the winners that win every single day at the expense of taxpayers' money. So it's almost exactly a year to the day that Alta submitted um, criminal complaints in relation to the board of the NLC. We submitted these complaints to the South African Police Service. The complaints entailed accounts of racketeering, money laundering, and just fraud in general. What is astonishing is that these, these racketeering networks, if I may, are so intertwined, it is sometimes hard to distinguish what is in actual fact real. However, the, the network is, is so convoluted that it is alleged in our affidavits as well that most of the, the NGOs that purportedly received funding from the, from the proactive funding schemes were in fact not NGOs at all. These NGOs were front companies chan channeling money for their own worth and just stealing left, right and centre from the taxpayer. So in addition to these criminal complaints, and they have not been resolved, by the way, these investigations are still pending. We also submitted a complaint with the South African Institute for Chartered Accountants. And this was against the Chief Operations Officer, Mr. Philemon Latwaba. So we indicated instances of the breaking of the code of conduct of chartered accountants, and SICA is currently investigating this as we speak. Although it's very frustrating, we do trust that regulatory bodies like SICA would do the right thing and start to hold their members to account. But uh, as, as we have seen across the board, these bodies, as well as law enforcement agencies, are incapacitated. And these investigations take time. So what we can do from civil society is hurry up and wait. And uh, we truly believe that the right thing will be done at the end of the day. Well, let's go back to the A word. We were talking about accountability when it comes to Owen Saar's money just a couple of moments ago. And there seems to be this systemic lack of accountability in South Africa. Nothing seems to reach finality when it comes to holding individuals to, to account. What does Alta think needs to be done to change this culture of lack of accountability? Before I get to a concrete answer, Tom, I would just like to applaud the roles of investigative journalism, the role of civil society and the role of people just, just speaking up about these kinds of things. 
But at the end of the day, there's no need for any legislative or legal reform in our current legal system. We do have all the mechanisms available. It's just a question of the implementation. And by implementation, we mean make the arrests, hold those people accountable in their pockets as well, finalize the investigations. We also do realize that the NPA themselves are incapacitated. They are struggling. The SIU, who, who have received the pro proclamation to do further investigation, they are also incapacitated and struggling to conclude the investigations. But uh, from the top down, there really needs to be a mind shift from the executives in the country to, to just try and hold the people they are responsible for to account. Um, we would really like to see the arrests being made and we would really like to see the likes of the NLC and the SIU and other government institutions to pursue the money wasted. Because not, we, from time and time again, we only hear that um, Mr. X and Mr. Z has, has been um, subjected to disciplinary proceedings and that's the end of it. Uh, we do not see the, the money being recouped. And the Public Finance Management Act specifically makes provision for the recouping of funding lost to corruption and lost to, to the um, state institution specifically. That's what we would like to see. Well, you mentioned that uh, we've got Ground Up on board tonight. I'd like to welcome the editor of Ground Up, Nathan Geffen, to the show. Nathan, welcome to the show. Before we start with the questions, I'd just like to, you to give uh, our viewers a, a, a roundup of, of what Ground Up is about and what you do on a daily basis. So, thank you. Thanks, thanks Tom. Um, and thanks, Alta, for, for having us. Um, so GroundUp started in 2012. We're a news agency. In other words, we produce uh, stories that um, are really for republication in, in, in the big news publications in the country like News24, The Citizen, Daily Maverick, um, uh, Business Tech, uh, South African, etc. Um, our focus is on covering stories uh, with a, which have either have a constitutional angle or human rights angle. And um, we've been gang for about nine years. Um, most of our reporters are young uh, and black um, and based in remote parts of the country. In other words, exactly the opposite of, of Ray and myself. Um, and uh, they've, uh, they, they've been doing fantastically well, breaking lots of interesting stories. Um, and, and telling stories that are often uh, missed or ignored or that the mainstream media doesn't have the resources to cover and, and that they gratefully take from us. Well, GroundUp has been running a series of investigative pieces on the National Lotteries Commission. I'm going to ask Raymond Joseph uh, to uh, come in here. And, and, and Raymond, what is the, your latest story on the minister? Um, yeah, so Mr. Ronald Lamola just for some quick context, um, the Brendan spoke about proactive funding. Proactive funding is where you don't actually have to apply for money. The National Lotteries Commission, its board, or the minister can identify a good a good cause to put money into. Um, and and particularly what we've been looking at is the infrastructure projects under proactive funding. So it's um, old age homes, it's drug rehabs, it's community halls, 
it's big building projects where hundreds of millions of rands have gone missing. And in this context, Denze Primary Care, a, a, a non-profit organization, um, applied for funding and the National Lotteries Commission decided, you know what, drug rehabs is a really good thing. We're going to put, we're going to put money in, into them. So, so this mm. was a this was a drug rehab in Pretoria, um, an existing drug rehab. They, in the end, put a total of twenty seven and a half million rand into. To this day, it's not operational. It is not completed. It is shoddily built. Um, it it links di- directly back to the CEO, CEO of the National Lotteries Commission, Mr. Philemon Latwabo, who Brendan referred to. Um, because the, uh, by the way, they used an NPO that was literally hijacked. They took over an uh, a group of people, took over a non-profit organization, which they then used to apply to the National Lotteries Commission for money, for, for, for funding. Um, Mr. Philemon Latwaba's brother was the sole director of an NPO, got the contract to, to build to build that there's over 20 million rand missing. So his brother got it. It was pretty much a family affair. His brother resigned. His cousin took over. His cousin resigned. As we were moving in on them, they kept changing directors. Then his cousin's wife. So, so he is directly linked and as part of the Hawks investigation that was handed by Ebrahim Patel to be investigated, he is named in several of them as is an attorney called Mr. Leslie Ramolifa from Pretoria. So we did a story about it way back. That story has stood the test of time, by the way. It was very early on. 2018 is when um, I joined forces with Ground Up. You know, without Ground Up, the story would have died a death because, quite frankly, other newspapers were not interested in the story for whatever reason. I don't even want to go into that, that side of it now. It's a show on its own, um, yes. And after, we, and after we did that story, the National Lotteries Commission's board appointed a firm of tort attorneys called Indabella Lamola Inc. Now, Indabella Lamola Inc. It retains the Lamola, although Ronald Lamola uh, became the Minister of Justice in 2019, September is 20, uh, sorry, May 2019. Now, they then conducted. They, they conducted research. I'm going to say the quality of the research is shoddy. It's poorly put together. They, they're missing, missing annexures. But the most important thing about it is it is filled with fraudulent documents. Now, these are documents that we had encountered, encountered previously, um, which have been used in court cases. They've been used in court cases against us. But we recognize we, we recognize them straight we recognize them straight away. Um, Ronald Lamola was one of only two directors of um, Indamella Lamola at the time it was done. They had three associate attorneys and two candidate attorneys. It was a very, very small firm. Um, the first report that they submitted to the former minister of DTI, Rob Davies, he rejected and came back with a shopping list of obvious stuff that they hadn't done. They then they they then went off and did further investigation, and they submitted it to Ebrahim Patel, 
Patel, the new DTI minister, um, his conclusion was um, it is quite clear the money was never spent for what it was intended for. And he recommended there's a strange relationship between the, the minister and the NLC. Um, he could only recommend that they uh, pursue criminal charges and they recover the money. And sorry, Ray, not, not, sorry, Ray, not the minister. I think Latwaba and the NLC, right? He, 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 I don't think he cited Ronald Lamola as, as an issue in his in his concerns, did he? No, 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 no. Yeah. So, so we're talking about we're not talking about the minister. We're talking about the reports at the moment. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, and and when Ebram Patel got the third report, he was so he clearly just he'd had enough. He then employed external um, auditing uh, investig audit investigators, and the result of that was handed over to the Hawks, in which Philemon um, Latwaba, all members of his family, or Leslie Ramolifu were named. Now, that report was never made public. This was during the course of 2019. Um, I then got hold of a copy of the report. Um, uh, the reports, the three reports, and started working through them. And I, there's no other word but gobsmacked. It, it, it's just such a shoddy job. It's just, you know, the documentation, it, it would appear that the very people who are using those documents in court cases are the ones who were submitting to it. They never, they never interviewed key witnesses. Um, when my story came out, um, Mr. Lamola didn't want to comment beyond to say it's got nothing to do with him. It's a law firm. Ask them. Uh, the law firm claimed client confidentiality and also I think they try to scare us by saying we reserve our rights. Um, only when the story was published did they come out and, and Nathan can tell you more about that, but it, it was the most bizarre thing. They they denied things that we've never said. The, the, the response had false information in it. They, they really try to spin it. But most importantly, what you had is a government entity putting out a statement, that's the National Lotteries Commission, with a private firm of attorneys who they had hired to investigate, and they were defending the minister. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Um, and then just the final thing I'll say, and I'm sure Nathan would have a lot to say, what I have subsequently discovered and is that Ronald Lamola and Mr. Um, Mr. Latwaba are quite good friends. Uh, Mr. Lamola will only say he's an acquaintance, but I can tell you I have a fact that it goes way beyond that. They, they are pretty good friends and have been for some time. Um, Mr. Lamola says that he has no powers or say over the NPA whatsoever. Because, you know, one of the questions we asked is, can we have an assurance that in the light that no one's being arrested, nothing's happened, investigations are going nowhere, you know, that, that you will make sure it goes somewhere. He, he just wiped his hands off this thing. It's got nothing to do with the Minister of Justice. And if you read the NPA Act, he, by the way, is who the NPA reports to him. Yeah.
Nathan, um, would, but yeah, those reports, I mean, shoddy, 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 shoddy. Nathan, would you like to expand on, on what Raymond's saying and, and also uh, what questions you feel the minister needs to answer? Right. So, uh, yeah, let, let's just go back 20 odd years. Um, the, the, the lottery was set up in the, in the late 1990s. I don't remember the exact uh, date um, when it came into being. It was set up um, on the principle that other forms of gaming uh, to raise money, like uh, the community chess game that they had, would be outlawed and would be replaced by the lottery. And about 30%, uh, plus or minus a few percentage points, of lottery tickets would go to good causes. And that, and it was the job of the National Lottery Board and then subsequently the National Lottery Commission um, to distribute those funds. So um, every year, uh, several billion rands worth of lottery tickets are bought. Um, and for the last few years in the region, Ray, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's between one and a half and two billion rands of that is is supposed to go for good causes. Um, you know, Ray's got enough tip-offs and, and documents and evidence to look for to, 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 that'll take him the rest of his life to, to be able to report all of it. It's just, it's beyond our capacity to report all of the suspicious things uh, that we found. And I, I just want to mention one other person who's been um, intimate to this process is Anton Fonseil, who run who edits the Limpopo Mirror uh, in 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 uh, Louis Trichat, who's also helped Ray and and has done some fantastic work on this. Um, you know, looking through it, the the, the amounts of money involved are, are substantial. I, I'm not saying that every last cent that the lottery gives away to good causes is is, is corrupt. Uh, we can't say that, uh, but a substantial percentage of it probably is. A very very substantial percentage of it is. I must tell you, we've published some. We've published a good news story about the lottery in 2018. Um, they funded the West Coast National Park, um, and if if you're in the area, if you're in Cape, visiting Cape Town, or if you live in Cape Town, I strongly recommend one weekend taking a drive out there. It's wonderful. So so th there is some good work um, that's been funded by by the the NRC, but. The vast, uh, 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 let me not say the vast majority because I could get sued for that, but a substantial portion of that one and a half to two billion rand a year is is not being spent properly. And I, I, I'm starting to reach the conclusion that the lottery um, has been used to fund, to, to, to pay for government cadres one or two steps removed from the highest echelons of power. So it's not... It's not SAA, it's not ESCOM, it's not Prasa. Um, it's, 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 it's the nice, it's, the nice, um, it, it's not the Woolworths full cream milk uh, or the Woolworths double cream, uh, 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 full fat uh, cream. It's the single fat cream um, that the second layer of, of caters are, are, are sipping from. And, um, and, 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 and three years of reportage by Raymond and by other people who've, who've worked with us. Um, I can't remember how many reports we've run at this point. Not a single arrest, not a single arrest, not a single prosecution. And, and, and then we go and discover the story about the Minister of Justice. And, 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 and Mr. Mr. Lamola says that he had nothing to do with that investigation. He denies having been involved, um, even though he was a director of the firm. And it's it's not impossible. It's you know he, he might be telling the truth, 
But we need more than that to have confidence in the process. He's the Minister of Justice, and no one has been brought to justice in the sorry affair in the three years that we've been exposing this. And, and, and it's hard not to be suspicious that people are being protected. And, you know, uh, Mr. Lamola has a great reputation. He, he, he stood up against the Jacob Zuma. He's been tipped as a potential successor to, to President Ramaphosa. I would really like to believe that he's an honest man. So would I. But he needs to take the public into his confidence and explain what happened here. And if, he's, if the company which he directed um, took money, which they almost certainly did, we don't know how much, they won't say how much they were paid. They were paid 19 million rand over four years by the National Lottery Commission, National Lotteries Commission, by far their biggest um, uh, legal firm that they paid. Um, we don't know how much of that 19 million rand went to, to this investigation. But whatever it is, it should be returned to the National Lotteries Commission. And, 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 um, and, 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 and he, he, he should take the initiative to explain, to, to come out and be more transparent about what's happened here. Just, just one further point, and that is that the, national, the, the lottery, as Raymond um, and his daughter have, have reported in Ground Up, is predominantly pay, played by poor people. A, a disproportionate amount of that of the several billion rand that goes into the lottery every year is is paid for by poor people, and it's their money that's been that's been stolen and misused. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 it, it's 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 really not an acceptable state of affairs. Well, talking about accountability and, uh, and not a good state of affairs, looking at the NLC's chief operating officer, who was placed on special leave with full pay last year, has since returned to work after 17 months. Uh, has anything happened there? Could you give us some insight into what's going I, on? I want his job. Yeah. I want his job. He gets paid over 200,000 rand a month, and for 17 months he didn't have to do anything. It's wonderful. As, <laughs> as, as someone commented on Twitter, I'd like to see his before and after golf swing. So, so, so what happened is 17 months ago, and again, it's because of pressure from our reporting, um, from outer, from Corruption Watch. So there's, it's not that there's not being pressure. Um, the National Lotteries Commission Board commissioned a, an, audit, an audit firm called SKX, to investigate, it was very generic, corruption at the lottery. And he was placed, they said it was special leave. I'm told it was a, a precautionary suspension, bearing in mind that he would be a, a key person of interest in the investigation. And, and for seven months, he's been living his best life. He's been being paid 265,000 rand a month on payday every month for seven months. So he, he has earned over 3 million rand during that period. And just, just a little bit less than that. Yeah. Big point? Just a little bit less than that, I think, about 2.7. But it doesn't matter. It's a principle. Yeah. yeah. Close to 3 million rand. Um, and and he, he, he then suddenly popped up, not last week, the week before he arrived back at work. And last week they went on this charm offensive um people call and the lottery answers and he was the face of the lottery he handed money to alex tv which i think is a good thing i think that's what the lottery should do they were burnt down mm. and i think to help them 
They chose four organizations dealing with old people. They gave three million between him. But he was the face of the lottery. He was handing over checks. He was posing for pictures. He was all over their social media. There's no shame, man. There's, there's, really, there's really no shame. Nathan, uh, three years of corruption stories on the NLC. None of the key people have been arrested or endured any significant punishment. Uh, will we see any arrests in the future? You know, the one thing the NLC didn't count on is Ray's tenaciousness. Um, and, I mean, he's, he's been on the story for years and he's showing no signs of being bored of it. And he's got a whole bunch of stories lined up. And uh, we are going to publish them. Um, and we're going to continue exposing the stuff. Whether, whether someone gets arrested uh, or not is out of, out of our hands. But we're going to put on the record what we, found, what we find out. And we're going to expose this corruption. Um, and at minimum embarrass the, the people involved. Mm. Wayne, as we're coming up to the end of the show and you've been sitting quietly uh, for the second part, uh, I'd, I'd love to know your comments on, on the NLC and the investigations. Me? <laughs> yeah, um, look, I mean, as Brendan said earlier, we value the uh, good work of investigative journalism. Uh, that have been undertaken and ground up. And, uh, you know, it's from these uh, stories and the, and the stuff that they pick up that civil society organizations like ourselves can also dig, uh, go deeper, engage with whistleblowers, start laying charges uh, as, as we've done. And, and we also engage with, uh, you know, the, the um, Auditor General of South Africa, uh, SIU and others. Uh, and we we do make uh, submissions directly, Section 27 submissions directly to the MPA as well. So I think it's a good example of working in tandem and collaboration uh, with media, civil society, and good media, that there are a number of media houses are a bit suspect. We've got a few good ones and we've got good laws. So, so this is all very important work. Um, and I know that there's a lot of frustration around ta it takes too long, uh, but... But we get there. It takes time in this country, unfortunately. You know, the NPA and Shamila Batoy and others uh, are, are having to deal with a compromised department. So a lot of, lot of good work is being done. A lot of good people in government uh, that use the input that we get. There are a lot of rotten apples that are in positions of power. Those are the ones we're going after. Those are the ones that these guys are talking about here now. Why is it happening the way it is? But we're seeing action in the right direction. We're seeing the talk of taking out people who are catered deployment, uh, uh, you know, individuals with no experience. Uh, uh, this idea of doing business with government is now becoming more and more taboo. It was always, uh, but now it's becoming a reality. So you see the Minister of Health no longer there uh, on that digital vibes issue. This Ronald Lamola issue is a serious one. And I, I would hazard a guess that in the next month or so, he will also have to step aside because the allegations here are strong. So uh, more yeah. of this coming. I think there's light at the end of the tunnel here. But uh, well done to you guys, uh, Raymond uh, and the ground. And a growing call for a cabinet I'd like Yes, to Raymond. There's a journalist. So I just think it's important to say that, you know, you ask Nathan, what does he think? Our job is to report, is to investigate and to report. Hmm. And, 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 and nothing more because we can't cross those boundaries. Yeah. It's really important that ordinary people, civil society, that they get on board. 
you know, what we can do, the Amagabungandis, the Scorpios, the world, you know, all we can do is shine a light on something. We can't prosecute. And, and, and you know, there are ethical issues, there are boundaries, you know, and so I guess you could call what Ground Up has done with lottery is advocacy. Advocacy in they've chosen a subject, Nathan has chosen a subject as the editor and he's not letting go of it. But not advocacy beyond that where we get directly involved. You know, that just yeah. taints our work. You know, Good and point. we can't be seen to be working with the authorities. You know, we're independent. We genuinely are independent. We work with who wants to. We take our information where it comes from. But civil society, ordinary people, they've got to take a stand because the lottery could make a huge difference in this country. They are giving out. By the way, it's one and a half to two billion rand a year. Um, they they're spending another half a billion of lottery money on salaries, running expenses, etc. Out of that, so so that's just a bit of context how, how expensive this machine is. But the lottery could be a real force for change if it was in the right hands and could really be run honestly. Yeah. And the monitoring and evaluation done, and, and 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 it could really make a huge difference. And I don't, you know, at the moment, you know, people are saying, "Well, don't buy lottery tickets." You're kind of in between, in betwixt, and in mm. between, because mm. you want to do good, but you don't know what's going to happen with the money. Yeah, um, uh, they have said that only ten percent is proactive funding. Well, you work, you work out ten percent on one and a half to two billion a year is going towards proactive funding infrastructure projects that never get finished, that never get built. Um, um, shelf NPOs, someone buys an NPO off the shelf today and tomorrow they get lottery money. This can't go on. The story can And, and Ray, would I be yes. right? Would I be right? Sorry, would, would I be right in saying that it's not just the proactive Funding that that is suspicious. There's a lot of the other, nah. a lot of the other. Huh? So, so, yeah, there, it it goes. So the big money, the big the big money is going in the in the infrastructure stuff. But you know, it's service providers. It's 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 just a multiple of expenses happening all over. I know examples of people who are, are providing services to the lottery and at the same time. Are involved with non-profits, other non-profit companies or non-profit organisations that are also beneficiaries of lottery grants. Now, this thing is huge. This, this thing is huge. Yeah, the story keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I remember when we first started looking at this on the outer hour, it was just a small story, and it has got bigger and bigger over time. Listen, we're running out of time, and I think uh, Raymond, that's where we'll leave it tonight. Uh, but to read more, go to Ground Up. There are plenty of investigative articles and great journalistic work on the site. Educate yourself. Empower yourself with information. Ground Up is the site to go to. Uh, there are plenty of comments coming through. Uh, Claire Feldman said, front companies seem to be the general modus operandi for looting. Kirk Emmel says, stop buying the lotto. Claire says, follow the money flow. Um, it's shocking. 
and some of the implicated directors are back in the saddle. No shame. Berta says, stop buying the lotto tickets, create your own lotto by serving people. There's no end result when these investigations take place, says Lynn Kennedy. The collective, in inverted commas, says Marina Smith, no accountability. And we'll look for one more before we, uh, before we leave you today. And Kirk says, I'm sorry, but I'm of the opinions that South Africans are corrupt. There are far too many examples about this time the world calls them out. Uh, I had such hope for Lamola gone, says Claire. And there's much more in the comment section. Unfortunately, not enough time to put everything on screen because we've had such a, a, a great conversation. This could have been a two-hour show this evening. But enough time for me to say goodbye to you and thank our guests this evening who have been uh, on board with us from the beginning. Brendan Slade, Legal Project Manager from Outer. Thank you, Brendan. Good to have you with us. Raymond Joseph, Independent Journalist and the Editor of Ground Up. Nathan Geffen have joined us. And then we'd like to thank Joachim Vermurten for joining us earlier. And of course, Wayne Divenage, the CEO of Outer, for being on your screen tonight. And thank you. The big thank you is reserved for you, the Outer Hour viewer, the Outer supporter. Press that button. Hopefully, press the like and share button. And hopefully, you're doing well. You're feeling good and got some positivity despite all the doom and gloom and the cold around us. I always end the show by inviting you back. Please come back. It's a date. You're invited. Next weekend, next week, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Write it down. Wednesday, 7 p.m. Uh, we'd love to have you join us for another outer hour. We're developing a nice team of viewers and a family feel. When I look at the comment section, people getting to know each other. It's nice to see South Africans need to stand up, hold hands, and be counted. Next Wednesday, 7 p.m. is outer hour. Please join us. Don't be late. It's a date from me to you. Until then, I miss you already. Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters.